We have talked with this uh, house rep a few times over the years. This is actually our first time talking to him, and we're getting it. We, I'm glad we're able to get him in here before we get to the election here. Zach Stevenson is kind enough to join us. 35A is the district up in the North Metro. He's kind enough to join us today to talk about his campaign. Hi, Zach. Hey, how's it going? It's going well, sir. How are how are things going for you? It's going great up here. A lot of enthusiasm, a lot of great conversations when we're out door knocking, feeling the momentum build towards Election Day. Only four more days left, and uh, then we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, we haven't talked. Uh, how did your district change with the redistricting? Well, my old district was portions of Coon Rapids and all of the city of Champlin. My new district is the western half of Coon Rapids and all of the city of Anoka. So I essentially swapped uh, Champlin for Anoka. And it was a close, evenly divided district before, and it's a close, evenly divided district now. Well, and it's, it's, well it, it tells you this. The fact that the Republicans that are running up there, and I just talked to Kerry Rayrauer, um, the, the Republicans who are running up there, they're generally trying to disguise themselves as Democrats. I mean, and that, and that just tells you a lot there. It's like they can't be what you find in these districts out in the western part of the state because they know that even though that, that might be a little bit more of a toss-up district, what doesn't fly there is that far-right extremism. Yeah, that uh, you said the, the magic word right there at the end. What people in, in Coon Rapids and Anoka, uh, the southern half of Anoka County generally, uh, don't like is extremism. Uh, you know, these are very, uh, very pragmatic, blue-collar districts filled with people who don't really have a lot of patience for extreme ideology. Well, and, and which brings up an interesting thing, and I'll piggyback on what I was talking with uh, Carrie last uh, segment, was it, they, the reality is is that, you know, we know what the Republicans are. We, we've seen this. They, they, you know, you talk about public safety up there. There was a public safety bill that was agreed to. They turned it down. They're the ones that didn't give the funding to the police departments. We know that, you know, nationwide, whenever the Republicans take over, they get rid of the unions, come a right to work state, get rid of those good blue collar jobs that are out there that we we need to have. And of course, we don't have to even discuss, you know, the the fact that for 50 years they were screaming at how they were going to overturn Roe v. Wade, and now all of a sudden, now that they've made everyone mad about that, they're trying to pretend it's like, well, I'm actually nuanced on this. No, it's, we know who they are at this point and we know what they're going to do. And the reality is the Republican Party of Minnesota does not tolerate moderates. They just don't. Well, and, and my opponent uh, in this race is that I have a unique circumstance that I was drawn in with another sitting member of the Minnesota House of Representatives. And so he has a voting record and a record of bills that he has uh, authored that show that that he is not a moderate. Uh, you know, um, you mentioned abortion. Well, he uh, authored, he was the author of a bill to ban abortion after a heartbeat was detected at four or five weeks with no exceptions for rape or incest. You know, a lot of people are concerned about democracy uh, these days. You know, in the days after January 6th, when it was still fresh, uh, we had a vote on a resolution condemning the violence that occurred at the Capitol in the Minnesota House. Every single Democrat joined with almost every single Republican in supporting that resolution. There were only eight no votes against that resolution condemning January 6th, and my opponent was one of the eight. He was one of the eight members who voted against condemning the January 6th attack. 
you know, if, when you run against guys like this, and then the first thing, you know, there does have to be a little bit of a, con, a, a, a frustrating element because you see the voting records, you see the extremism, you see the fact that this is not a moderate, but they come on out and, gee, gosh, gol- gee, willikers, golly, gosh, I'm this middle of the road. No, he's not. And I mean, I'm glad you're there because you're you're tough as nails. I like you, uh, Representative. Uh, I have a. It's nice to see someone holding these guys to their feet to the fire. And the reality is, is that you know they shouldn't be able to get away with this. That their record should matter in an election. Well, I agree. You know, fundamentally, elections are about accountability. And as the pro, uh, you know, when the legislature is not in session, I work as a prosecutor for Hennepin County. So accountability is something that I'm very familiar with. And holding people accountable is something I'm very familiar with. And that's why I've always liked elections, because elections are a chance uh, to hold our public officials accountable. And I suspect the people of Anoka and Coon Rapids are going to hold my opponent accountable in in just short of uh, four days. Uh, Zach Stevenson, representative, uh, running for 35A right now. At, representative, you've been uh, you've been knocking on the doors. What have you been hearing? I mean, I imagine you've hit a, quite a few of them in your district at this point. Oh, yeah. We have had amazing conversations out here. Thousands upon thousands of doors. And, you know, people out here have all manner of different concerns, ranging from concerns about schools. And, you know, I'm sure that you've talked to your listeners about how Scott Jensen is talking about cutting the education budget by 10% right off the top and wants our schools to look like those down in Mississippi. Yes. You know, that's a direct quote from him. You know, that that doesn't play well up here where people are, know that their uh, schools are overcrowded, that class sizes are creeping up into the upper 30s in, in, at Coon Rapids High School, uh, and so people are frustrated with that. People are worried about price gouging by the big uh, pharmaceutical companies and the big energy companies. They see that ExxonMobil had $30 billion of profit in just the last uh, three months, and uh, they see that oil prices are as low as they were a year ago, but gas is a dollar more expensive, and they know you know, they're not, they're not stupid. They know that where that, that money is going into the pockets of these big oil companies, and they're frustrated by that. Uh, you know, they see what happens in other states after Roe v. Wade was overturned and the kind of extremist agenda that was adopted in other states, and they're worried about it happening uh, here in Minnesota. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of issues at play up here, a lot of great conversations. Uh, people are tuned in, paying attention, uh, and frankly, friendly. That's one of the great things about being engaged in, in politics in Minnesota is that you have a lot of friendly people to talk to. And you got a good rep, too. You come to the door, people enjoy chatting with you because they know who you are. You know, it's it's interesting. I've been to Mississippi. Uh, no, you do not want Mississippi schools. And by the way, you kind of buried the lead to a point. It's not just the education department he wants to cut by 10%. It's every department, transportation, environment, health and human services, public, serv- public, public safety. safety, public safety. Everything gets t- by ten percent, and I and I said, does he understand? Apparently, he doesn't seem to understand. That will literally shut down the entire state because that is a cut that is not going to be able to be absorbed with any speed. Well, it's 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 an extreme ideological ideological position. It's reflexive, just saying we need to cut, 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 and uh, that that is the agenda, uh, irrespective of the consequences. For teachers and students in our schools, irrespective of the consequences for people living with disabilities uh, across the state and people living in nursing homes, it's irrespective of the consequences uh, for our law enforcement uh, who are already overburdened. I was talking the other day uh, to a correctional officer who works at Stillwater about how, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we had a correctional officer murdered at Stillwater Prison 
in part because of low staffing levels. Uh, you know, we uh, have to be serious. Uh, when you're talking about cutting the Department of Corrections 10%, that's going to put people's lives in, je- in jeopardy. Uh, you should not do that. No, and, and it's, it's also such a simpleton mentality, and also, if we may make the point, those aren't going to be cuts. All that money, what, what have the Republicans done for the last 40 years? They cut. They don't give that money back to you. They give it to a massive tax break to the wealthiest people in the biggest corporations at your expense. So you have less benefits, you have less money, and basically they say, well, wait for it to trickle down, which it never will. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, I think that we are in a situation here in Minnesota where we have had a decent-sized surplus uh, for many years. And I think that, uh, you know, Democrats, uh, the DFL, wants to make use of that money uh, to, to uh, provide relief to the working families uh, across the state. And Republicans want to give it to the top 1%. And that's the contrast and the choice in this election. Uh, Zach Stevenson is joining us right now, the, uh, representing uh, running for 35A up there uh, on the north side. Uh, the we, we have a budget surplus. Um, you know, it would be nice as you talk about education. You know, we forget Tim Pawlenty undid the Minnesota miracle, uh, and and we could re- we could fix that. We could you know public safety. I mean, even you know Governor Wallace has put in an olive branch and saying, hey, if I win again, we'll have a special session and we'll get that uh, we'll get that public safety bill that we negotiated passed, which is probably more of an olive branch that I'd be willing to offer at this point, but because I think the Democrats are going to win the House and the Senate and the governor's race. So I think it's a little bit of more of an olive branch than I'd offer. But the reality is, is that we have the money right now to fix a lot of problems in the state of Minnesota. And it just, we need to have uh, people getting in there. You return to St. Paul, you're looking at this, where are your priorities on these with the spending that you can help the most people in the state? Well, you know, at the end of the last session, we had, uh, I thought, a very responsible framework for what to do with the surplus, which was to take a third and leave it in the state's budget reserves in case we have a recession. Yes. Uh, To take a third and uh, invest it in things like education, transportation, and public safety, and take a third and return it to the uh, people in the form of permanent tax cuts. Do things like get rid of the tax on Social Security, where the state has an outlier, we're one of only 12 states that taxes Social Security benefits. Uh, and a few other tax cuts, particularly uh, targeting uh, people who uh, have high property tax burdens and, and, and renters um, because of the you know massive increase in the cost of housing in this area. We want to make housing more affordable. Uh, I still think that that makes sense. I think education has got to be uh, a top priority for our state. Our schools are just creaking and overburdened. And, you know, a subset of that is mental health in our schools. Minnesota has the worst ratio of mental health professionals to students in the entire country. And mental health is increasingly a problem in our schools. We need to get serious about building a mental health system across the board, and we should start with our kids. You brought that up, and that is something I have. We've had actually some longer interviews that we've talked about because it's, it, you know, you're right, absolutely 1,000%. We absolutely need an investment in mental health counselor, counselors in schools, but outstate, well, in the metro itself, but even especially outstate Minnesota. There aren't any counselors. There aren't any therapists. And we need to have them out there because the mental health issues that are happening everywhere are happening in rural Minnesota. We we have the surplus here. You said it. We can do a lot of good because we're looking at that. We're on the, the lip of a massive problem with mental health in this country. And if we don't put some immediate spending into it, it's only going to get worse. No, that's exactly right. And I'll tell you, mental health is an issue that comes up all the time when I'm talking uh, on the doors. 
you know, mental illness touches almost every family, whether it's, you know, a, a condition like anxiety and depression, that's very common, or, you know, uh, one of the, the more uncommon uh, problems that people have with mental illness. It's something that everyone feels in their lives, and everyone can see firsthand how broken our mental health system is. And I shouldn't have even said broken, because I think my favorite quote is uh, from Sue Abderholden, who said, you know, the problem with Minnesota's health care, mental health care system is not that it's broken, it's that it never existed in the first place. <laughs> it's that. so true. It's yes. so true. We need to build that mental health system. We need to have treatment facilities all across the state. We need to uh, make it uh, accessible and easy to get mental health uh, uh, care very early on when mental illness affects you. Because, you know, what often happens is people self-medicate when they don't get their mental health treated. They self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. And drugs and alcohol uh, will make mental illness worse, not better. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it becomes a spiral, and it leads to very, very bad outcomes. We need to have a system in place. You and I are talking on the same page because I agree wholeheartedly what you just said. You need to have a system in place where if it's a student, it's a farmer, it's a senior, or if it's just anyone that within – you know, if you're having a mental health crisis, it can't be a you need to drive 200 miles and wait a week. You get you have to have these right. these these out there. And and right now, as you said, we just don't have this 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 there. And I think a large part of it has been that we the, you know, the, the downplaying, the stigma that's associated with mental health issues. And the reality is, is that now we've because we've downplayed it and not addressed it. It is exactly as you said, we don't have the infrastructure in place. And the good news is we get the DFL in charge of the House and the Senate there's going to be a surplus. We can actually go out there and start addressing some of these major fault zones in regards to mental health in Minnesota. And, and you know, the representative there would be a fantastic addition to that, that committee to make sure that money's getting spent correctly. Well, you know, both the House and the Senate here in Minnesota are on a knife's edge. It is entirely possible that we could wake up on November 9th and have a DFL majority in both the House and the Senate. It is also entirely possible that we could wake up on November 9th and have a Republican majority in both the House and the Senate. And that will make a big difference. Even if you're very comf- confident that the governor is going to win re-election, a Republican majority in the House and the Senate would be calamitous for the state of Minnesota. Uh, to name just one example, in Minnesota, to put a constitutional amendment on the ballot, the governor doesn't have a role. So if the Republicans wanted to put on a, a measure on the ballot, banning abortion without any exceptions for rape and incest. They could do that even with Governor Walls reelected. So we need to make sure that we have DFL majorities in the House and in the Senate. And the next four days will be critical uh, to that effort, which is why I'm out knocking every day. I actually just stepped away from the door, hopped in my car to make this phone call. Well, and we should mention that it comes down to everything. Every Democrat votes. Every DFL are in the state. You have to vote. This is this is crunch time. You cannot just put this off. You have to vote. But if you and want vote to vote early, it, vote vote now. Yeah. Because what you, when you vote early, what you do is you. It's one less door that our GOTV volunteers have to knock on. Okay, that you can help us out here in the field by voting right now. And the polls are open mm-hmm. tomorrow. You can go to your city hall or your county government center across the state and vote between ten and 3 p.m., and then on uh, Monday from 8 a.m. to 4.30. And if you vote uh, early, then you will spare uh, some volunteer or some candidate like me from coming and knocking on your door, encouraging you to vote. So okay. That's, 
to be I'm honest, to be honest, Representative, if you came to my door, I think I'd enjoy that. It would be a good conversation because it's nice when I can talk to politicians that I can see you actually care about Minnesotans. That's delightful. Well, wouldn't you rather, Matt, that I'd be talking to a persuadable voter or someone who was less likely to vote? Exactly. You know? you're, you're exactly right. And this is crunch time. We can talk on November 9th. <laughs> okay, fine. We will. I, you know, I will. I will. Here's here's what I'm going to say: is that th- the reality is, is we need to get everyone out of the metro area, out of the safe districts. There's a lot of safe districts. The DFL is going to win them, and that's great. And I'm not discounting them. And nor am I not saying that anyone should vote. Everyone votes. Everyone votes. But the reality is, is that the, the the districts that are going to decide the House and the Senate are ones like Zach's, where it's it's just north of the metro, easy to get to. And if we can pull this off, well, guess what? It's going to go a long way to holding the Minnesota House for the DFL. Uh, so, Zach, if people want to come up to your district and volunteer this weekend at Door Knock, I imagine you've got tons of opportunities available. What's the website they should go to? Well, actually, I think you can just come on up. We have mm. a field office. It's at 1557 Coon Rapids Boulevard in Coon Rapids. We're Anytime that the sun is out, uh, we're door knocking. Just And there's people at that office is always... Man, just show up and say you want to go door knocking. You'll get a route, a training, and you'll be on your way. 1557. All right. Coon Rapids Boulevard. 1557 Coon Rapids Boulevard. Head up there this weekend. Take two hours. Go knock on a few doors. Go talk to some people. Get people out to vote. Because once again, the reality is this. If every Democrat votes, it doesn't matter what the Republicans do. The Democrats are going to win. It's really, that's the metric. Every Democrat votes, the Democrats win. So- that's simple. We have to get everyone out to the polls. You do that by door knocking. 1557 Coon Rapids Boulevard. You can help out uh, Representative Zach Stevenson there. Also, Kay R- Carrie Rarehour. That's the address she put out as well. Get up there, door knock, and help out the DFL. Uh, Representative, I look forward to having your leadership in the uh, House once again when you have the majority coming up in the next session. Well, I look forward to visiting with you again right after the election.